0: My guest in this podcast is Chidi Hing. Chidi is chief of ILO Gender Equality, Diversity and Inclusion branch. Chidi has worked previously as a director of the Equality Department at the International Trade Union Confederation. She has also worked as the senior lawyer with the Whistleblowing Charity. In this podcast, Chidi will help us to understand the content and scope of ILO's Convention 190. The International Labour Organization Convention number 190 is the first international treaty to recognize the right of everyone to of work free from violence and harassment. Convention known as C-190 was adopted in June 2019 by the International Labour Conference of ILO. Aim of this podcast is to spread awareness about Convention 190 and also to learn the content and what exactly this convention offers and how it will benefit the workers. The globe. I welcome Chidi to my podcast and I hope you will enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Global Development Review Podcast, Chidi. It's been Mm a pleasure to have you here and learn from you about the ILO Convention um, 190. My first question to you is about uh, the background of uh, Convention 190. And if I may just ask, like, what what is actually Convention 190 and from where it has come from?
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, Thank you, Jaffa. Pleasure to be here um, on your podcast. So, Convention 190 is the latest... um, in international labor standards that have been um, negotiated by the International Labor Organization. So that's um, the three constituents, workers, um, employers, um, and governments. It's actually the first um, international labor standard that deals specifically with the issues of violence and harassment um, in the world of work. Um, Whilst there were other existing international labor standards that dealt with various aspects of um, violence and or harassment, there wasn't actually a comprehensive, um, dedicated set of labor standards um, addressing this issue until the ILO um, started the process of negotiating the standards. This can be quite a lengthy process, but to summarize, there were two um, negotiations or discussions, if you like, in 2018 and 2019 that resulted in um, ILO Convention 190, which is Supported by an accompanying recommendation to a six, which gives guidance on how the convention, so how this new law, international law, um, should be um, interpreted and implemented um, by governments in discussion, of course, with um, employers and workers.
0: Yeah, I just would like to know the background of, like, one is like how it has processed in in the. You know, ILO, how ILO has worked, but from where this idea has come from, because uh, the harassment and violence has already been, you know, happening and why, why it was not there. So I'm just wondering to know what it. like. Is there any particular event which has occurred? And after that, you know, it seems the need to have special convention on this issue.
1: Indeed. I wouldn't say that there was a special event that occurred. Um, the discussion on uh, the possibility of um, the standards that eventually became um, C-190 and R 6 has been taking place within the ILO um, for quite some time. So within the ILO, there's a process um, that leads to the negotiation of standards, of international labour standards, and that starts with um, items being put on the agenda of the International Labour Conference, takes place. It has to go through the ILO's governance um, system. Um, mm-hmm. so the governing body um, needs to make a decision um, to place the item um, on the um, conference agenda. And um, in the case of um, Convention 190 and its recommendation, this process started quite some, quite a while ago. Um, by, um, my recollection serves, back in um, 2012. Um, I would say, when you know the governing body first considered whether um, or not to um, start uh, the uh, discussions and to place this on the um, agenda of the um, International Labour Conference. So this went back to the governing body um, several times, backwards and forwards, the discussion, you know, um, all the constituents um, pretty much need to be um, in agreement that this is an item that does require standard setting, um, and then it goes on to the, the conference agenda. So eventually, um, there was sufficient support from all three constituents, from the government, the employers, and the workers, um, for this to go forward. And um, in fact, before the actual discussion back in 2018, there was also a meeting of um, experts. So this is, again, the tripartite constituents coming together to explore what what such standards, such eventual standards um could contain um, so that there would be clarity going forward um, into, mm. into the discussions. And as you will no doubt know Jeff as well, it it ended up being extremely timely um, because um, in between we had um, you know the um, revelations that came through um, the social media hashtag um, metoo, yeah. um, which really exposed just how prevalent and how um, serious violence and harassment was throughout the world of work, um, you know, these uh, initial revelations, of course, came out of, um, you know, uh, Hollywood, let's put it that way, yeah. um, but, um, you could imagine that, uh, if it was so difficult for, um, workers in relatively privileged situations with relative power within their, um, you know, within their world of work, how much more difficult it can sometimes be when the right, um, Guidance when the right processes, when the right procedures and the enabling environment for um, workers to be able to speak up um, doesn't exist, right? Don't exist. So extremely um, timely that these um, negotiations started um, back in 2018, completed in 2019.
0: Yeah. So what is actually the aim and recommendation of Convention 190, if, if I may ask?
1: Yeah, I would say the first thing is that, it, you know, the convention and its recommendation recognize the right of everyone to a world of work free from violence and harassment. And that's a very important statement. You know, it, it really does underscore that this just isn't, um, you know, acceptable. It's not part of the job, which unfortunately for many workers it can seem to be, um, particularly if they don't feel that they have avenues through which they can raise um, these um instances when they experience violence and harassment, and be confident that it will be dealt with um, in an appropriate manner. Um, so having this categoric statement already uh, in the Convention's recommendation that it's incompatible with decent work, that you know, everybody has the right to a uh, to world of work free of violence and harassment, um, is extremely important. It gives um, you know quite clear guidance as well to um, the actors in the world of work as to what measures need to be taken to prevent violence and harassment. Mm. Um, you know, what needs to be taken in order to remedy um, violence and harassment. It gives guidance on what violence and harassment actually looks like, because this is also um, an issue. Um, you know, many workers who experience violence and harassment do not uh, not necessarily recognise it for what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, very often, um, to give um, an example, it could be seen as you know, physical violence or being limited to physical violence or being limited to sexual harassment, for yeah. instance. The convention takes a very um, broad approach um, to violence and harassment, looking at the impact that actions have, that behavior and practices have on the people experiencing um, violence and harassment. Importantly, I should say that it also um, has a very broad coverage um, of um, people who um, need protecting from violence and harassment. So again, um, you might think of your traditional worker in the office or in a factory. Convention 190 goes beyond this. It recognizes, for instance, that um, job applicants, job seekers, um, that um, retired persons, volunteers, interns, um, and employers who are you know, acting in, you know, they're in, exercising the authority of an employer, but as individuals. Um, have um, the protection of the instruments from violence and harassment as well. Um, it covers workers in the informal economy, extremely importantly, um, as well. So it's not just workers who um, may be in this formal, more formal office or factory setting, for instance, but it would cover you know, street vendors and market traders. Um, and so it, it's, it's quite significant um, in its reach um, and, and, and scope. Um in terms of um, what constitute violence and harassment, as I mentioned, it's not just you know, physical forms of violence. Um, mm-hmm. This can also include, um, for example, um, you know, threats of, uh, of violence. It can include um, psychological um, mm-hmm. instances mm-hmm. as well. So you could, you know, bullying is a form of violence yeah. and harassment, you could say. Um, and it also includes psychosocial risks. You know, so it could be work practices that lead um, to violence um, and harassment. And finally, I'll just say on this, but very importantly, it, it pays particular attention to the gender dimension um, of violence um, and harassment, um, recognizing that you know, sometimes the violence um, and harassment occurs um, or puts um, at greater risk um, people because of their sex or their gender yeah. Um, and that particular groups of people can be particularly susceptible to the risk of um, experiencing violence and harassment.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's very important and interesting to know that it includes other form of violences. But I was also going through the convention, and I think there is a specific definition of sexual harassment that you are mentioning about, and uh, it includes. And even I I was not sure about the informal, actually, sector. So so informal sector, I'm just wondering, like, for example, if someone is having the informal kind of employment, so how ILO Convention 190 is going to help that worker at informal sector? Because mostly they are not registered, or mostly they don't have employee employer contract. So in that context, like, is there any specific provision regarding that in this convention?
1: Indeed, there are several provisions um, in the convention you know, and its recommendation, and that's an important question um, that you pose. So, um, first of all, again, you know, it recognises um, in its scope that it applies to um, informal economy workers. That's 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 the first thing. That's yeah. very important. Yeah. The workers, whether they're working in rural and urban areas, also very important because we know that. Many workers in the informal economy also work in rural um, areas. Um, it recognizes that um, when we're talking about, you know, the, the world of work, as I said, we're, we're looking at not necessarily um, just a physical place of work that might be an office or um, or a factory. It can also include, um, you know, public spaces where there are a space of work. So, you know, in the case of street vendors, the street may be their place of work. In the case of market traders, again, the market might be um, their place of work. So public spaces where there are places of work are also, um, you know, captured uh, by the Convention. It also, um, you know, requires government to look at the particular role that um, public authorities um, may play both in preventing um, and addressing um, violence and harassment, or indeed, you know, um, perpetrating violence and harassment. Um, so, in implementing, when a country ratifies um, the Convention, in implementing it, it would be required to take this into consideration. What can be done um, to ensure that informal economy workers, for instance, like every other worker, are informed of their right to a world of work free of violence? What training, for instance, might be required of public officials um, so that they're aware of what behavior or practices are unacceptable in relation to um, informal economy um, workers? Um, And to ensure as well that there are avenues through which informal economy workers can seek redress, indeed, if they are subjected um, to violence and and harassment.
0: Yeah. What What are the actually obligations and requirement of the nation states if they ratify, like, to implement the Convention 190?
1: So, when a country has completed the ratification of Convention 190, and that means that when it's gone through the national processes, so it might be discussion in Parliament, and the Parliament means um, that um, the Convention should be ratified. It then has to um, notify the ILO, so it's official depositing of, um, ratification instruments um, with the ILO. Um, and then it has to domesticate, of course, um, you know, the provisions um, of the Convention and its recommendation. And um, you know, it would it would take me a while to go through all the different um, requirements um, that the convention has. But I'll start by saying that um, you know, there are obligations, of course, um, on governments as the primary um, constituents to whom conventions um, are addressed. But also, there are obligations um, on employers and their obligations um, on workers. Um, you know, you could broadly state obligations of workers, of course, to refrain from committing. Acts of violence and harassment. That's a responsibility um, that workers have. Um, the convention puts some specific um, responsibilities also um, on employers in terms of um, the need to have in place workplace policies and procedures um, to prevent um, uh, and redress um, violence and harassment. To make sure that there's um, appropriate, um, you know, training um, in place. That there's pr- appropriate information uh, made available. Um, to to workers and employees to look at occupational health and safety systems um, as well um, and see how they're addressing um, issues of violence and harassment. And also, you know, both um, governments um, and and employers will need to look at, um, you know, what they have in place in terms of, you know, um, measures, laws, policies um, to um, address equality and non-discrimination because we know that... um, you know, inequality and discrimination are big factors yeah. um, in uh, people's experiences of violence and, and harassment.
0: Yeah. So, like for example, in in context of countries' domestic laws, so it's it's not necessary for them to uh, implement a law or create a new for, law for that country. Uh, maybe they have uh, existing laws and they have to follow the ILO guidelines. So this is what absolutely.
1: Huh? Absolutely. So countries will need to look at what um, exists already, and many um, countries indeed are going through um, this process as we speak. Some have already gone through it and have completed, indeed, ratification um, of Convention um, 190. Um, it may be that there are um, you know, some amendments, um, adap- adaptations that are needed to national legislation, to bring it into compliance with the convention, its recommendation, it may be that you know national legislation is already broadly compliant um, with the convention, its recommendation, and therefore there's not necessarily further action um, that's needed in order to be able to give effect um, to to these two tr- instruments. So it really would depend on what already exists um, at national um, level as to whether you know um, further um, legislative legislative action. Um, is needed. And let's not forget as well You know um, the need to look at policies. It's not just existing legislation, it's also looking at existing policies um, that address issues um, such as equality and non-discrimination you know, as mentioned, looking at existing uh, policies in relation to um, occupational safety and health, um, for instance, and whether or not um, those are sufficient um, to comply with um, the Convention's recommendations. And I should also say that, it, you know, because it, the, the convention takes this um, rather holistic approach, you're looking at, at it from several angles. You're looking at what exists in criminal law, you're looking at what exists you know, in terms of employment law, you're looking at what exists, um, you know, in terms of um, occupational health and safety um, legislation, for, for example, and, of course, in terms of equality and non-discrimination.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, of course, the, uh, the nation... States will definitely follow and ratify it, but um, if, if I may ask you that if a common person wants to know about his rights through ILO Convention 190, so how would like I as a researcher or someone has an NGO or social worker or activist inform them about the provisions, special provisions to a common person actually, who is not that much expert into conventions, yeah.
1: Indeed, and you know, it can be unrealistic um, often to, to ask you know an ordinary person to go and find and read you know this um, yeah. uh, rather legalistic text um, and to understand from that um, what rights um, you know they, they have and can expect yeah. um, under the Convention, recommendation, and the ILO um, has in fact a campaign um, that's um, running at the moment to help raise um, awareness of the convention's recommendation, so very broad awareness um, of what these instruments um, are, how they can assist, um, you know, um, workers, employers, um, governments in addressing this pernicious issue of violence and and harassment in the world of work. Um, Our tools, our campaign tools, um, for instance, include, um, you know, social media graphics. They include um, the... um, uh, how shall I put it, um, explanations of the convention and its recommendations or guides um, to the ILO convention and recommendation. They're briefings that the ILO has produced, particularly since the um, arrival of the pandemic, which we're all navigating at the moment and um, through which we've seen um, increases of incidences of, of violence and harassment. So again, you know, explaining how these instruments can help to address some of the issues that we're seeing surface, um, you know, even more prominently um, with the advent um, of this pandemic. Um, I should have, I, sh- I should have had in my background, you know, the the, the logo of the ILO campaign, <laughs> but there is an awful lot of material that you will find on Twitter, that you will find on the ILO's own website as well, that can help. And then, of course, the constituents of the ILO have their own role to play. So workers' organizations um, have a role to play in, in ensuring that, you know, um, workers are broadly informed um, of the um, convention um, and its recommendation um, that um, they are providing you know, awareness raising, but also you know training where appropriate. Same goes for employers organizations, a role to play in ensuring that their members um, are aware of the instruments, um, are w- aware of how the instruments can help foster you know better industrial relations, and more help more safe and healthy. Workplaces um, and are aware of what um, you know their particular responsibilities as well might be under that. And then governments, of course, um, should be promoting um, awareness um, of the convention and its recommendation, and also taking steps to you know train um, appropriate people who have a role in implementing um, you know these instruments, such as, for instance, the judiciary, um, so that they are um, clear what is meant by violence and harassment, the forms that it can take, um, and the remedies that ought to be available um, to to and those who experience
0: violence and harassment. Yeah, exactly. And I was also uh, wondering to know, like, how would you uh, recommend the states who are ratifying ILO convention to implement these policies at the local level? Because uh, one is national legislation, and then at the local level, and the situation could be different. And also the second question that I would like to ask you is when if we find the case of uh, you know, violence or sexual har- harassment, so what are the provisions that the person who is victim of such violence could take forward or uh, is there any you know, uh, aftercare facility recommendation or what, what is actually the policy regarding that? How, how we need to engage with that person who is victim of such violence?
1: Yeah. All right. So um, in implementing um, the convention, I think we would stress the importance, again, of social dialogue. So um, it, it would be extremely important for um, governments to talk and discuss and consult um, employers and workers' organisations um, when they're going through um, the, the ratification and the implementation um, process um, of the convention, because that's how you also um, really... Um, Make sure that everybody understands um, their different responsibilities, and make sure that you know adequate measures are also taken um, to comply um, with um, the provisions um, of the instruments. So the issue of, of um, social dialogue is extremely important. Then domesticating it, as you say, you know, is not just about national level; it's a, it's actually what happens um, in the world of work um, at large. So collective bargaining again has a, a key role to play. Um, in in this um, situation. So again, workers, organizations, um, you know, um, engaging in collective bargaining uh, with employers um, to ensure that the provisions um, of the um, instruments are included in collective bargaining um, agreements. Um, Workers, um, you know, and um, employers being required to negotiate workplace policies as well Um, That deal with violence and harassment, that it facilitate and enable um, the reporting um, of incidences, of course, but you know the preventative measures that are um, necessary to prevent to stop this arising um, in the first place um, uh, is extremely um, important. Um, I think I may have forgotten the second half of your of your question just then in replying to that. Um, Apologies for that. but yeah, maybe you could
0: refresh my I was just asking that if we find someone, uh, like if someone is uh, like a victim of sexual harassment or, you know, violence, so what are the provisions to, uh, you know, assist that person um, in, in terms of trauma, post-traumatic like um, situation or the, the situation of violence that person is suffering? So is there any provision that this convention is referring to or recommending for?
1: Indeed. Um, so again, you know, access to, to remedy is a very important part of um, you know the the, the content um, of the instruments. Um, you know, and access to remedy can be, um, for instance, the workplace policies and procedures um, that we talked about. So putting in place grievance mechanisms, um, for instance, through which um, you know um, the the worker, and I use that sense in the in the large sense of the convention, so mm. the appropriate mechanisms which, um, you know, the person experiencing violence and harassment can report it. So this could be internal grievance mechanisms, internal to a workplace. It could be external grievance mechanisms as well, which could, you know, um, of course include courts and tribunals, um, you know, could also include other, um, you know, external mechanisms. I think if I give an an instance, for instance, for an example, in India, there are committees um, that have been um, specifically set up to deal with um, issues of sexual harassment. So um, those sorts of um, uh, mechanisms um, to um, enable um, complaints of violence and harassment to be dealt with. It's, of course, important that people have confidence in these mechanisms as well. So, you know, um, measures need to be taken to ensure that um, these uh, complaints, when they're raised, are dealt with in an efficient manner, that they are properly and fully investigated, that privacy and confidentiality um, is respected and that at the end of the process, that you know, justice is seen to be done. And whatever that outcome could be, um, it could be you know, making sure that um, you know the the person experiencing the violence and harassment, um, you know, does not suffer any further victimisation as a result of raising the complaint. That there, it may be that um, you know, they, the 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 remedy that sought is not. You know, additionally punitive to the person who's been experiencing it um, in the first place. So, when we're looking for, if I could give an example, a transferring you know um, people in a workplace where um, violence and harassment has occurred, um, it may be that the um, the victim, um, if I can put it that way, may want to be transferred. In that case, um, should it should not be a transfer that leads to worsened you know terms and conditions for the victim. And it should be, you know, um, at the victim's request. Otherwise, if you are simply saying, okay, we will remove the person and leave the perpetrator um, in place, um, this can have the look of a punitive measure. Also looking at what can be done to rehabilitate perpetrators is, is an important part as well. You know, to, Where there's a finding that somebody has um, committed an act or acts of violence and harassment, what are the measures, um, disciplinary or rehabilitatory, that, um, that need to be taken um in order um, you know to to address that um so the the convention gives um, very strong guidance also on you know as you mentioned um, the need perhaps to have access to counseling um it's a traumatic experience very often when people experience violence and harassment yeah. um so again you know um, employers and governments can ensure um that they are and even some workers organizations um look to ensure that um Victims have access to proper and confidential um, counselling services. And one thing I should add as well, that's quite innovative in the Convention, its recommendation is the recognition of um, uh, the impact of domestic violence through the pandemic. We've seen yeah. this um, come um, very strongly out. We yeah. need to take measures to to address those impacts.
0: Also, for example, in context of India, many people also work from you know home, especially workers, women workers. They work from home and also, like they they experience a lot of violence there. So, and this is I think very important aspect of ILO Convention 190 that I I would say that it also covers those informal sectors and I'm just expecting that states will definitely know, work on it. What actually, if if in a simple term, if I'm just sharing this podcast with 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 my colleagues in universities and colleges and and in in development sector. So, what are the key provisions that you know they should know about? Okay, these are the key provisions. One is like obviously that sexual harassment and violence. The definition has come, I think, in convention. That's very important aspect. But also, like what other provisions that are the key provisions that we need to remember and we need to you know, spread awareness about? That's
1: a, that's a very interesting question as well, because, of course, my, I would be tempted to say that all these provisions are extremely um, you know, important and they interact very closely with each other, precisely to pick them apart, because um, the instruments do need to be read you know, as a whole. But certainly the definition is key to understanding what violence and harassment is, and to moving away from a fragmented approach to addressing violence yeah. and harassment, to a more you know, integrated and gender-responsive way of, uh, of addressing violence and harassment. So understanding both the, the definition of violence and harassment and the definition, specific definition of gender-based violence and harassment. Understanding who is covered. You know, so this scope, this broad scope of the convention, very important so that nobody is actually left out. You know, it covers all workers, irrespective of their arrangements, as I mentioned before, yeah. it covers, you know, people such as interns and volunteers. Um, I mean, covers indi- uh, individual um, a- acting as employers, you know, yeah. um, in that sense. Um, understanding the role as well that occupational health and safety measures um, can play in preventing and addressing um, violence and harassment. Understanding the role of um, having, you know, promoting equality and non-discrimination. Addressing um, and preventing uh, violence and harassment um, is very important. Understanding, um, you know, what the different responsibilities may be. So, what should be in place in, you know, the workplaces wherever that workplace may be, as you say, whether it's working from home as a home-based worker, as a teleworker, whether it's working in a public space as a, you know, um, a street vendor, etc. Understanding again, you know, what the, the measures um, that are required to be. Place and by the convention yeah. and, and its recommendation yeah. are, um,
0: are are also extremely important. So, um, also, I'm just wondering: would uh, discrimination based on the basis of uh, you know race, ethnicity, or religion, color, would also that count as a violence at workplace under this convention?
1: Yes, it, it could be. Now, the, the Convention has very specific provisions relating to um, you know, the need to take measures to address violence and harassment um, of vulnerable groups or groups in vulnerable situations. It doesn't actually define um, specifically who these groups may be, yeah. uh, but it refers us back to international um, instruments um, yeah. that address the situation of groups in vulnerable situations. So certainly this would include... Um, Well, it could include women, of course. It includes, um, you know, um, racial and ethnic minorities, disabled workers. Imagine that it would include, um, you know, for example, workers experiencing violence and harassment because of their HIV or um, status. Um, For instance, it could include migrants and are specific provisions actually relating to, um, you know, the need to take measures to ensure that migrant. um, that migrants um, are protected, protected from yeah. violence and harassment, including undocumented um, migrants. Um, so, yes, there's um, yeah, <laughs> all of that that uh, needs to be taken account of.
0: So. I just would like to end this podcast by asking what kind of challenges do you see in ratification or implementation of this uh, convention, and how can... You like what? What would you recommend to the you know, civil society actors or development professionals or researchers to help in reducing those challenges?
1: Well, I think I mean some of the challenges would be um, first of all just in in knowledge of the instruments, as you mentioned um, yeah. earlier on, um, just if the, whether or not people are aware that the instruments exist in the first place, yeah. um, and then. Um, in terms of the ratification um, process, of course, it's um, really understanding what might be necessary um, in terms of um, national laws and policies, um, and to bring those into line with the Convention. And the ILO, of course, can provide technical assistance um, in these areas to its constituents. Um, in that, ensuring that the capacity is there in order to properly implement um, the Convention, its recommendations, so again, training... Um, is a big part of that, and uh, the convention has specific provisions um, you know, around training um, and awareness raising. Um, and, yeah, I would say um, those are some key areas um, in which um, you know, um, focus um, is needed. But, again, as I say, the ILO is here to assist its, um, its constituents um, with the ratification and implementation process.
0: And I I think many countries have already ratified and many are in the process of ratification. So I think it's progressing quite well. So, yeah, thank you very much, J.D., for sharing these insights about the Convention 190. And I'm learning a lot from you and I hope that the audience will also learn from this podcast. Thanks a lot. Not at all.
1: My pleasure, Jeff, and thank you for doing this po- this this podcast. Um, and uh, it will be part of that awareness raising, knowledge gaining process that we're talking about. So, um, again, thank you, for, yeah, thank you for inviting us.